0: Before we begin this week's episode, I wanted to touch upon the events of the recent days. The last week has been painful, but as difficult as it was for me and my family to watch the news about a terrorist attack in El Paso, it was worse for the families and friends of those killed and hurt in Gilroy, El Paso and Dayton, amongst the many other victims of mass shootings in America, who are still in mourning today. With mass shootings being perpetrated at an increasingly alarming rate, each new instance is a reminder of the losses of the past, losses that for all practical purposes could and should have been prevented. Our country's obsession with guns and the protection of the Second Amendment does not exist in a vacuum, but rather it has grown in tandem with violent ideologies that promote white supremacy and misogyny. For let's call this attack what it is. The El Paso shooting was a homegrown, white supremacist terrorist attack. Shootings in America are not simply caused by mental illness or violent video games. They are fostered by deep hatred that is becoming normalized each and every day. They are a result of the constant demonization of immigrants and non-cisgendered men. They are specifically cultivated in online chat rooms and message boards whose sole purposes include the perpetration of copycat attacks and spreading racist, sexist, and homophobic rhetoric that is designed to further radicalize more individuals into the already dangerously radical alt-right. The threat posed by white supremacy has never been so clear to us as it is right now. Terrorism in America is not an existential threat rooted outside our borders. It is born within them. Too many lives have been lost and communities have been broken, but there is still time for us to do something about it. Stricter monitoring of white supremacist groups in America is no longer optional. It is a requirement. Stricter criticism of the president's anti-immigrant hate-filled rhetoric is no longer optional. It is a requirement. Stricter gun laws are no longer optional. They are a requirement. For those of you who are wondering what you can do, one thing you can do is to help pressure Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to pass legislation that is waiting on his desk that could prevent further gun violence attacks. The link is in our show notes. And now on to today's episode. This week's episode is a mini where I'm speaking with Ilhad Nehorai, a progressive Orthodox Jew who is an activist. This minisode is going to be a part of a series designed to amplify the profiles of people who are change makers in their own rights, especially when it concerns the debate around immigration. Full-length episodes of the Alien Chronicles will continue as usual and these minisodes with activists will be released every few weeks. Hope you enjoy my interview with Ilhad.
1: There's a group of people in America who prioritize white male Christian domination over democracy. And so this is, I would argue this is the biggest demon that's holding America back, where, where people who prefer the supreme supremacy that they've had choose that over the things that will ultimately make this a free society.
0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the Alien Chronicles podcast. I am your host, Sadia Khan. I normally introduce my guests. But there are times when I ask them to introduce themselves, and I'm going to do the same today. But before I do that, I want to share a quote from my guest on Twitter. And this quote to me is the essence of the kind of America that we live in today. And here's what he said. We live in an age of shameless hate and shameful weakness and cowardice of those who could stand up to that hate. Brilliant. Welcome, Ilhad. And could you introduce yourself? Uh,
1: yeah, my name is Alad Harai. Thank you so much for having me. I am a progressive Orthodox Jew, which I think confuses a lot of people. Uh, it means that I am both progressive religiously and politically. I'm the leader of an organization called Torah Trumps Hate, which is a group of these progressive Orthodox Jews and I'm also, you know, a leader in my community. I'm doing, you know, a lot of stuff around creativity and that sort of stuff. But relevant here, I think, is my ma- mainly my activism and also my writing has mainly been, especially over the last few years, about focusing on bringing, you know, fighting for morality within politics.
0: You consider yourself a religious person, right? Yeah. Do you? Right. I am sure this journey has been ongoing. And could you talk a little bit about...
1: Sure, about how I became yeah. like this? Sure. I actually... Yeah, my story's a little bit nuts, I started off being very, uh, I, was, I was a secular Jew, I grew up secular, wasn't religious, and in college I joined this movement called the called Chabad, which is very into kind of like outreach, towards getting, you know, kind of encouraging Jews to be more religious, that sort of thing. I went to study in Israel for it, and I became a lot more conservative at that time, which was interesting, tends to unfortunately come with being religious. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was really fascinating, fascinated around, like, you know, 2016 or so. You can guess what was kind of going on around that time. Yeah. Um, like a lot of people, I think I tried to actually consider myself above politics. I think once I became religious, I thought I was somehow uh, better than politics or whatever. And I think what happened to a lot of people in 2016, and I don't think this is at all specific to me or to anyone religious, is that... We started to be like, oh, actually, this is all political. This is all really important. We've been taking a lot of things for granted. You know, by not taking sides, we've also kind of given up our moral compass to a certain extent, our moral high ground, etc. cetera. And I think that and we've let down a lot of people. And that's kind of how I thought uh, about it. And since then, I've kind of, you know, in, in uh, Hebrew, we call it teshuva, like to do repentance for the past. Um, I've been th- trying to do teshuva for for not being active enough in the past. And I, and I think that's like the very, 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 very uh, small version of the journey that I went on.
0: And your activism also includes com. That's your online platform where you allow creators from Jewish community to come together. And it's an expression, like it's more of a platform for artistic expression can you talk a little bit about that and how has the field of artistic expression evolved since you created Vivraya
1: yeah so actually that's been really fascinating i started it when i was it was i think it was around 2014 2015 and uh i was at the time again i was i actually i think even one of our rules was no politics at the time when <laughs> we ended up changing rules in 2016 but at the time we we're really it was really about the fact that for a lot of religious people it's very hard to live in a world where main a lot of times the focus is on so much on restriction and on uh, you know finding your place and these sorts of things as opposed to what is within you and so creativity in essence I I, I would argue is about looking within and then expressing outwardly as opposed to the other way around which uh, I would argue is a form. Maybe it could, you know, in, in a negative sense, you could call it propaganda or it could be just be called taking in knowledge, <laughs> depending on your opinion. But um, but really, like, the idea of creativity and the idea of Hevriya was that we wanted people to be able to start tapping more into the inner part of themselves and to express it. And the fascinating thing about that was that as it evolved, it almost, we didn't even mean for it to become anything political. And I mean, now I mean political within the Jewish world. Um, We didn't expect it to be like that, but almost immediately it was because we had people, when you start asking people to access what's in them, they're going to start talking about things that are controversial.
0: Ilhad, it's very specific to Jewish community, right? And it's it's a platform for Jewish creators. Have you thought about expanding that platform and including people from other religious, ethnic backgrounds, non-religious backgrounds? Because as you said, 2016 elections have changed everything. Honestly, if, if it weren't for Trump's election... Um, you and I would not be sitting here um, having this conversation wow. because I would probably not have a podcast. Uh, so have you thought about doing that?
1: That's actually, uh, wow, that's a really great question. I love that point. Also, I don't think I've thought about that in regard to have Ria before. I think that, honestly, I think that we need it all. And what I mean by that is we need places for kind of intercommunal discussions. We also need places for larger discussions. So if anything, I, I would hope, one of, the, one of my dreams actually is to bring this knowledge and this experience into a place that's not just Jewish. So I would love maybe to start something new, I think might be the better way to go.
0: So going back to your activism and especially your social media, I follow your Twitter regularly and what you say is always very profound and I quoted one of your tweets in the beginning as well and you've been able to amplify voices of Jewish communities, you've supported uh, marginalized communities and you're very critical of what's happening on the political side in in the U.S. right now. My question to you is... uh, given how social media has changed activism and the ease with which we can partake in activism on social media do you think it discourages people like you and probably me to share some like physical space with marginalized communities and go out and do like protests and demonstrations and um hold placards and you know just be in that physical space because i'm sure that is a different experience in its own
1: so you're saying, do, you, do I think that social media might actually cause people to be less active? Yeah,
0: like less active in person, like physically, right. be part of demonstrations, be part of protests and just like sit in their homes, in their, you know, offices, wherever they are and just be active and partake in that kind of activism.
1: I think that might be true for for some people. I think that overall, the effects of social media are leaning like because of the volume that you reach the amount of people and the amount of the the way you can quickly spread an idea that sort of thing Uh, i think because of that we ultimately i believe will lead to more activity and we've seen that all over the world right i mean the more extreme examples are egypt and and other places where there were you know the arab spring was so much because of social media which is a fascinating thing um so I, I like to think, I hope that social media in the end makes people more active, brings people more together. I think, I know that's been the case for me. I know that a lot of things that I'm doing now I wouldn't have done otherwise. And I think that maybe it's our goal. It should be our goal, though, if we are active, if we have an audience and these sorts of things to push people to do more, which is, it's um, why I became part, I, I joined this Never Again Action movement, which has been the ones that have, the people that have been getting arrested at ICE detention centers, these sorts of things. Um, and part of the reason I was really inspired by them was because they're telling people, OK, you did your angry stuff on social media. Now let's actually go out. Let's do things. Um,
0: and yeah. talking about politics, it seems like to me that sometimes you're just frustrated with Jewish communities' support of Trump uh, administration and If we look at numbers and I don't have specific statistics, Jewish community predominantly, they voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016 elections. I don't have numbers for it right now. But but even then, I think it's you're probably referring to the Orthodox Jewish community. And why do you think that is the case? And have you made any strides in like helping people understand on why it's important not to, or what are the, uh, some of the challenges that you may have faced within that community?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I think you're absolutely right. Then there's the Jewish community. I think has been one of the large, besides, of course, for for certain other minority groups, the Jewish community has one of the, been one of the most biggest supporters of left wing politics for a lot of reasons, and probably the most obvious one being their history, but. You're right also that Orthodox Jews predominantly voted for Trump. It's actually really interesting. Where I live in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, uh, if you look at a voting map, there's like this sea of blue and right where I live, which is the Hasidic part, it's this very, it's like this dot of red, like very Mm. strong red. It's it's really fascinating. The reasons for that are really varied. I think for a lot of reasons, the Orthodox world tends to be much more right wing because they're more conservative as people. But I also think that a lot of it has to do with Israel, a lot of it has to do with With, I think we tend to underestimate the power of communities that are uh, what's the right word? I guess like inwardly focused, so that their their main their their main concern is their own safety. And I don't mean to put that down. I think that it leads to some beautiful things, but also leads to some dangerous things. And recently, we've seen the danger of it. And I yeah, I've been trying very hard to to give another point of view on that. Uh, Ultimately, what's happened is that I I think because we're living in such a difficult age to convince people. Um, that really it's become, a, to a certain extent, for better or for worse, a time to mobilize people. So yeah. what I've discovered is that there's a group of Orthodox Jews who really care about this, and my goal has now been to mobilize them, to get them excited. I think in the past they were actually scared of speaking out, and because of this group to our Trump State, which I didn't start, was started by another woman, I, I, I think they've started to feel much braver. And I think that is a huge, that has a huge effect on discourse, and hopefully will change people's opinions that are not you know, expressing them all the time on social media. But I I think ultimately the hope is that what we're really doing is trying to get the people who believe in justice to really act more.
0: And has there been any backlash within the community against what you're trying to do? And how have you dealt with that?
1: Been a lot of backlash. Yeah, huge amount. It was interesting because I started off uh, before that. The only times I was very political was when I was doing like pro-Israel stuff. And so I had built this audience that was very pro-Israel. And I, the moment I, and this was when, it was during the primaries, there were other Republicans to vote for at the time. And I was like, you know, I wasn't Republican, but I told people, vote, please just don't vote for this one guy. And immediately I got huge backlash. I started losing readers. I, I was actually, there was a period where it was so bad that I was sure that I was like not going to continue to be a writer, at least in, in the sense of people reading me, because I was losing all these readers and it was really fascinating it was re- and I was getting vilified and all these things it was very hard but I think that <laughs> I think that's that was hard but I think it also showed me that it it, it kind of helped me understand how in- trans- intransigent some of the people are in, in these uh, discussions and where to uh, put my energies because ultimately I kind of followed this thread of the people who were who were following me before and still following me and they were kind of adv- oh they told me about this group to say State so I joined it and yeah, it's it's hard. I think, but I think um, you know, we ha- it's kind of like what I wrote in that tweet. We need to be able to live in an age where we do stuff even when it leads to backlash.
0: You still are very active on Twitter, but you were also active in terms of you know pro Israel um, rhetoric. But at the same time, you are very aware of other communities, and and you show compassion to other communities and other religions at the same time. So. This notion of being pro-Israel means, you know, focused just on one aspect of who you are. um, That doesn't have to necessarily be the case, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I actually think that's uh, an interesting question. First of all, I think that's absolutely true. I think it's becoming harder to to do that in a way. And what I mean by that is that because we're becoming polarized to a certain extent, it's hard to remember kind of you know values that go beyond you know our corner of the world, that sort of thing. And actually what's happened, and it's funny because now of course I'm getting backlash for this, is that because I open myself up to being more political and and looking at other things and seeing how other people are quieted and that sort of thing, I noted, you know, I started to re, you know, first of all, a lot of changes have happened in Israel. And it's become much more Trumpian in the last and, and it could be argued it was Trumpian before, but definitely more Trumpian recently. And so that affected me quite a bit. And, and then also, I think when we open ourselves up to justice for others, we tend to start to see that we need to, you know, be a little bit more thoughtful about our approach to these other things. I think that's what happened to me with Israel. And I want to be careful. I'm not trying to say, um, you know, that I'm, it's, it's, it's not something I've, I've finalized my thinking on. Um, I think it's something where I realize I need to be more open-minded about so I think there's truth to what you're saying. We can't hold multiple truths. But at the same time, I think as we're growing and as we're evolving, we have to also be willing to look at things differently, look at how we might have been wrong about things and we, we might we should grow and, and et cetera. So absolutely, but also I, I, I think ultimately we need to also remember that uh, morality may be fixed, like the, the things that are right may be fixed, but we are constantly evolving.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And,
1: and so... This, these identities need to be able to be in flux for ourselves otherwise we tend to get caught up too much in whatever we believe in to the point where we don't it's funny because now you see a lot of older progressives who are kind of looking at younger progressives and being like whoa you're going too far which is <laughs> what's happened every generation but I think it's partly because they're used to a certain way of thinking and so I think to a certain extent we need to all be young if we can yeah. when we approach these things
0: and how hopeful are you for 2020?
1: so my hope is number one that a democrat wins <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, and I think, unfortunately, that's it's it's weird to just be like, yeah, that's what we need. But we're in such a dangerous place right now that I think whoever it is, we need to support. But I think the the other thing that I've learned big time from, especially from listening to other activists, listening to activism of the past, I've learned how much we need to take what we've gained from this time and apply it to whoever is president, whether it, it, Trump is still elected or God forbid, or we are dealing with, you know, an entirely democratic majority. We still need to fight for justice. I think that's the thing that never changes. And I think that if we allow ourselves to get complacent with a win, that would be, it would definitely not be as bad as what we're experiencing, experiencing now, but uh, it would be pretty bad because we, we have to understand that we only got here because of, to a certain extent, our lack of commitment to justice. So the more that we're fighting for things, I think the better, and it doesn't matter who's president, it's just a matter... That just affects our tactics and our approach, but it doesn't affect the commitment that we have.
0: And if you were to describe America in one word or a sentence, given your experiences, given how you approach things in life, how would you do that? One word? I mean, it could be a sentence, yeah. <laughs> a phrase, a Got word, All right. uh, but something that really reflects your thought process at, at this point in time.
1: All right. So I'm going to do a sentence just because I'm not, I'm a writer. I'm too verbose. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, wrestling with its demons, but ultimately redeemable.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that's a good one. When you say that, what are the demons, some of the demons that come to your mind?
1: Sure. I mean, I think that uh, we are, what we're struggling with now is is what actually America has been struggling with for ages, which is how do you build a true, democratic system without everyone being free without everyone being given freedom and what has happened is that i would argue that because there there is a basically a certain uh, there's a group of people in america who prioritize white male christian domination over democracy and so this is i would argue this is the biggest demon that's mm-hmm. holding america back where where people who prefer the supreme supremacy that they've had choose that over the things that will ultimately make this a free society which is which is really fascinating because if you think about it America has been built around democracy but we've also known that we can't have a full democracy if every, if not everyone has full rights and these sorts of things so ultimately it's coming down to people choosing whether we have a country that just admits that fascism is preferable to democracy because that's the only way you can continue to disenfranchise people? Or are you going to have a country that's fully democratic?
0: And you're a writer. And if I were to ask you to create a slogan to counter Make America Great Again slogan. Oh boy. <laughs> what 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 kind of slogan would would you have? Is there anything that comes to mind like
1: Make America what it was meant to be?
0: Okay. So maybe Democrats can use that, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's such a saleable line, but (laughs) that's what I think.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Elad. This was amazing. I know our time was short, but we were able to cover some topics. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Chronicles Alien or on Instagram at The Alien Chronicles. And come next time when we have another inspiring story. And in the meantime, stay connected.